back on the Boss Man Show. Special guest for you guys. He has a newer program, man. All access coach corner with Brian Burton. He's also working working with the rising coaches as well. They're doing great things. They got great zooms going on. We've been talking offline, man. He's a good dude, man. Look for the hear from him today on the Boss Man Show. Brian, what is good, my brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm blessed, man. Appreciate you having me on. Showing me some ATL Dirty South love, man. Man, look, it's all love down here, man. I miss having all you guys come to town earlier this year with the Final Four, man. So I got to show everybody some love, man, because it's ATL. We love everybody down here. The Dirty South, Waffle House, Glass Hot Chicken and Waffles. Anything you want down here, we got it for you, man. Black Hollywood all day. Black Hollywood all day, man. I grew up an Outcast fan, so ATL is always a special place in my heart, man. Let me let's start there, Brian. So uh, tell us, so uh, what is your favorite thing about coming down to the ATL, man? We're recruiting wise, you know, the Peace Jams and Lake Point. So tell us about your experience coming here to recruit players and your experiences overall in, in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, I don't have a ton of them, man. I have I have some family there, so you know you always gotta ce celebrate the family when you're there. Uh, I've actually made a lot of closer friends now uh, in Atlanta. You know, Coach Huff, Cabril Huff at Holy Innocence, and then uh, Corey Black um, with JucoReport.com, and then uh, Cam Daly. You know, I've met more and more Atlanta guys. Uh, the staffs have changed in the, with the local colleges too recently, so I have some college coaches that are there in Atlanta and Georgia now more than I've had before. And, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, grew up an outcast fan uh, with, with Andre 3000. So they were always celebrating ATL before ATL was cool. Uh, I think Jermaine Dupree, I can't say I was a Jermaine Dupree fan, but he was, he was screaming in Atlanta back in the day. And then TI came shortly after. So uh, definitely a special place as far as, uh, you know, just, to be honest, celebrating black people in general. They call it Black Hollywood for a reason. So ATL has kind of become uh, a who's who place to, to be able to visit and be able to stop through. So uh, I look forward to my next time because then I get to come through and you'll get give me a tour and you show me the real side of Atlanta. I haven't got to see everything yet. Hey, man. I'll definitely show you the real ATL for real. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to Lou Williams' route of ATL. Oh, no. I think I'm good on that. But but I want to see everything else. I'm good on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, right I, 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 I had no idea dudes go to Magic to get wings like that. Like, I mean, the wings are okay there, but I never thought you would go in a corner during a pandemic to get some wings from, from, from the spot. I never knew that until Lou Will. He, he's, he, he's a gay, he's a trailblazer, Brian, a game changer. I didn't even know it. Hey, hey he's, he's leading the NBA in points off the bench for a reason, okay? You got that right. You got that right, my, my man, brother. Tell us about your program, man. You have all access culture, coaches corner, and what you've been doing since you've uh, taken in this new route. Now, you, and uh, shout out to your your Anitra. She's a, she's very good and responsive. We will be talking via the DM about what you guys got going on. Sending me links, so she's doing a great job for you. So tell us, shout out to Anitra, man. Yeah, shout out to Anitra. So Anitra is actually my cousin. So it's actually cool how that worked out uh, when you can work with family. Uh, my wife actually does a lot of stuff for my aunt, and so she's uh, my aunt's a big time entrepreneur. She does a lot of stuff with uh, um, she does a lot of social work with uh, around kids that have parents that are incarcerated. So that's the same side of the family. And uh, me and Anisha, we actually didn't meet till we were older in life. Uh, wow! We went to a funeral, which is unfortunate. Sometimes you meet family members you've never met at, at events like that. But we met at a funeral probably five years ago, maybe six. And um, 
and maybe I'm outdated on that. Maybe it's a little bit more. She'll probably get on me like, it was eight years ago. But uh, I say that to say um, we didn't know each other before, but we've gotten really close. She's older than I am, and uh, she's got an expertise in PR and a lot of background in that. And I kind of told her what I was doing, and she was looking for some other things to kind of get involved with with her brand. And, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. She's taught me a lot. She's kept me in line. She's definitely made things easy. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it doesn't feel like work when you're working with family. But all access coaches corner, it really just uh, it's a complete God thing. Uh, rising coaches is uh, who we work with. So rising coaches, I'll talk about them first. Adam Gordon is the CEO. So shout out to Adam, uh, former coach. He's been at all levels um, of college basketball. I believe he started his career at Clemson. Um, but Adam is uh, he was an associate head coach at SEMO before he really kind of get went full time with rising coaches but I think rising coaches probably has about 40,000 followers or so and they have almost 2,000 members uh, now to their site and it's kind of like a LinkedIn for coaches it's kind of like a, a social network of coaches where you can go and grow and there's over 10,000 um, videos uh, on the website when you're a member membership is very inexpensive just $10 a month uh, but it gives you a community of people uh, I always say it like this. I think rising coaches are light in our coaching industry that can be so competitive and so uh, step on whoever you have to step on to get to the top sometimes. And um, just just not always about helping the next person. It's a pay it forward organization. They want to teach and empower and help uh, young coaches or coaches of all levels to be able to grow and connect and, and also be able to share their story and share their skill set. So I think sometimes as assistant coaches, you have certain lanes that you're put in whether it's offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, recruiting coordinator, or whatever it may be. And uh, you don't get to show another side of what you do, you know. So I think that's the cool part about what he's doing is uh, giving so much. You're getting a platform for coaches to be able to grow, connect. Uh, and the, the concept of rising coaches, I always say it like every coach wants to rise in some level, whether you're a head coach yes, and you want to rise to more wins, whether you're an assistant coach and you want to rise to a new position, a new level, everybody's looking to, to rise in our industry. So I think the concept of we all can rise, we all can rise, and it doesn't mean you're taking away from somebody else. Uh, the brotherhood, the connection, the, the family tree, he's, he calls it, or they call it the largest family tree in college ba or in basketball. Um, and I think, or coaching tree, I should say, uh, in college basketball. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because I think it becomes like a family. You get on there and there's different Zoom community. There's an online access community where you can direct message. There's uh, I've been a part of two kind of a welcoming program as they people come in and our new members, we reach out, make them feel welcome. Just make sure people have what they need and they have a, a place to go to if they just want to ask questions or connect or plug in. So starting with Rising Coaches, um, we started an all-access coaches corner. And, yeah, it's blown up. We've had over 100 guests on in three months, which has been incredible. Um, we've had uh, three social justice roundtables. We started with no social media at all, and Anitra's done an incredible job of helping push that platform, and, and I think we have over 1,300 followers, which, you know, again, these numbers are just not necessarily for our value, but just to show that it's grown very quickly. And uh, my vision with it was, uh, you know, we're all in this industry, and I'm in between coaching stops. I've been 15 years in and been at all levels, too. I've been blessed to be at six different Division ones and five years at JUCO and did some Division two and have been at all levels. I've had interviewed at four different places. I've been offered a head coaching job and 
you know, there's a lot of highs and lows in this business. I chose not to take that particular job. It didn't fit. Uh, I hope to be a head coach at some point in time and lead a program. But uh, in the meantime, I knew I wanted to serve. I knew I wanted to serve my purpose. My wife says it. Uh, again, shout out to her. That's why I'm wearing my blessed husband shirt. Um, but uh, because she talks about this, you know, job titles are infinite. Excuse me, job titles are temporary, but purpose is infinite. You know, she talks about that a lot. And uh, if you're not going to be in a certain title, that doesn't mean your purpose doesn't stay the same as why you coach, why you're in the industry, why you want to help people. And uh, I got in this business to help people make a difference. And I think that uh, initially you think it's players because that's what you're coaching. But in this particular space, it's been about helping other coaches and paying it forward and spotlighting other coaches. So the philosophy behind All Access Coaches Corner is just to share coaches' stories, to spotlight them and their programs, uh, and then just to serve them. So those three things is kind of our purpose, to give a positive uh, light within what Adam is doing with Rising Coaches. And, and shout out to Andy Farrell and Brandon Rosenthal as well. Those guys are part owners. Um, but within that community also not only shining light, but also, you know, showing, showing a, a minority some love. You know, we've probably had a majority, 80% of our guests have, maybe not 80, maybe it's probably closer to 70, but we've had a good amount of uh, minorities on because we want a bit to show that we can do more than just coach, excuse me, more than just recruit. And um, we have not, we started to have our first females on. I wanted to give respect. There's another platform on Rising Coaches called Women in Sports. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to give them their shine first before we started giving honor to other women uh, outside of that space. So we had them on uh, our last second to last show. And uh, we've taken a couple of weeks off to kind of just recharge and realign. I'm following each of his leads. He's like, let's, let's, let's take a break for a minute and kind of restructure some stuff now that school has started. But uh, all that being said, I appreciate you asking. It's been an awesome ride. The following has been great. The, feedback more than anything I wasn't doing it for myself didn't even know it was going to blow up like it was I just knew I wanted to serve and knew I wanted to pay it forward in the game and uh, help some other coaches to get some love that don't get love kind of the unsung heroes if you will because um, sometimes the same guys get talked about the same names get hired uh, mentioned for jobs it's, it's so you just want a bit of shed light to more guys uh, more more coaches in the industry and like I said I look forward to getting more women uh, on and, and showing that side of the game uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, just just a blessing to be able to, you know, who knew the pandemic, what was going to come out of it, but it's kind of been cool to just be able to connect. And I think that's the part. There's been so many different pockets of communities, of Zooms and podcasts that have come out that have been great in coaching because sometimes we're just competing. And, again, I'm talking about just minorities. And you hear my daughter singing in the background. Uh, but guess guess who today? <laughs> somebody, somebody's birthday today. Uh, you you see so many times that uh, sometimes even with minorities or coaches, period, it's competitive. It's competitive for jobs. It's competitive for players. It's competitive for wins. So in this competitive environment, sometimes we don't get the fellowship. So this pandemic has really stopped everybody. And made everybody a little more open-minded to just helping each other, sharing. We've shared more information. I think sometimes minority coaches, we can get really competitive with each other. Because sometimes, let's be honest, outside of the Power Fives, there's only one minority per staff most levels, mm-hmm. right? So for those jobs, it's like, okay, if this job is open, well, you're going against maybe somebody that either could be your boy or is. And so sometimes that's looked at a certain way. And same thing with players. Sometimes we're competing for players, and it's like, you know, we're, we're just changing the narrative right now, which I really appreciate of just 
hey, we're all in this together. We all can eat. You know, let's make sure we're all rising instead of that crab in the bucket mentality. So I think uh, I've been blessed to just have a small, small space in this thing to just be able to serve and spotlight some coaches and hopefully do some good for, for, for the game of ball. Now, Brian, for you personally, man, when did you see yourself becoming a coach? I know you was a player, so at what point did you decide, man, look, let me get into this, this coaching thing here and make a difference there? Great question. So my mom would love this question right now. Shout out to mom. Sherry Burton uh, lives in Dallas. So my younger brother is a head women's basketball coach at a Division II in Texas called Texas A&M Commerce. And um, he's three years younger. And we, he's, the, he's probably the most competitive uh, in some ways of all of us because he's the youngest brother, right? So um, I actually got to coach him when uh, he was – I think I was in ninth grade. So we're three years apart. So I was probably 14. He was probably 11. And that's probably the first time I really got into coaching. It's funny because I, we lost the first game. Uh, we had 10 games in that season. We lost the first game. We won the next nine. And I told myself, like, we're not losing no more games. So uh, I coached him hard as my little brother, but there was a lot of respect there. But I also gave him – I didn't get in his way when it was time for him to be great. You know, and, uh, we had a kid on our team that was probably our most talented kid at the time. He's kind of one of those kids that was bigger than everybody and more athletic. And the dads had a hard time coaching him. And for whatever reason, I just was able to connect to him. So my mom would say even back then, she just knew there was a – in me that that fit in that category of coaching and then as soon as I got uh well, as soon as I got to college a uh, matter of fact as soon as I finished playing high school ball my high school coach he started asking me to coach the camps and uh next thing you know he's kind of like asking me back for camp asking me to be involved with coaching the summer league and uh yeah just kind of randomly started happening more and more and next thing you know I graduated I started the AU program in Dallas um had a lot of success, won some some pretty big tournaments, and it was an independent team, no no shoe no shoe circuit team or anything like that. And then I kind of jumped on with some of the shoe circuit teams after that, and uh, coached my younger cousin in my first year. I was finishing my degree uh, at a school in Dallas, UT Dallas, where I graduated from, and played ball there. And then um, I had finished playing, but I was finishing my degree. And I tell you this, man, he – so my cousin might be the most talented athlete of all of us. He played – he got a scholarship to go to Akron and play football and basketball. Wow. But he didn't – it was a football scholarship. So he didn't understand if you don't play football, you're not playing basketball. But he, he – the agreement was both coaches wanted him to play and the football coach was going to allow him to play. And he never kind of made it through the football thing, didn't love it. He was talented at it, but didn't love it. And – uh he ended up transferring to a JUCO, and then long story short, I was able to recruit him to come to a JUCO in Dallas and live with me. And long story short, man, the hardest recruit I ever, ever, ever recruit was my own cousin because every day he would tell me he was coming, but I never believed him because I know him. Yeah. So I had to just continue to be persistent. I had to call mom. I had to call this person. And just until he got off that plane and I picked him up, I was like, all right, he's here. I can believe it now. So – it was the best uh, – it was a great experience to be able to coach him. He's doing great things now, too, and he played a little bit of uh, pro ball afterwards. And, yeah, so it's coming from the basketball family. I played with my older brother, Darian. Uh, he played Division One for, for Billy Kennedy, who just retired from A&M. Uh, he played for him at Centenary College in Louisiana. And so, uh, yeah, it was a, it's been a basketball family. Can you like uh, me? Yes, I can. Hold on one second. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, it's been a basketball family, and now you see that the, the young athletes are taking over. You see who the boss is. She, she's coming yeah. and make, make it, making demands already. Yes, indeed. Now, let me ask you this. You've been to NAIA level, JUCO level, D2, and D1. If you can't explain our listeners, what are the different challenges in each level? Because I feel like listeners don't realize, realize how the NIA is different than the JUCO, than different D2 to the D1. It's different yeah. ways to have to, to play that play that game on each level. So explain to listeners a little bit of how the differences between each one of the levels are. I think that would help them out to understand the challenge you guys face at every level. Yeah, no doubt. That's a great question. So the only level I haven't coached yet or played is NAI, but every other one I've been at. So Division three, I played. Uh, Division two, I coach JUCO. I've coached Division three JUCO and Division one. Um, Division one university, I've coached at six different ones. So, I would just say basketball is basketball first and foremost. Uh, but the purest levels of basketball are, are really the junior college level because you get a chance to really impact kids in a different way. So many kids that aren't really supposed to make it. Uh, maybe it's academically. Maybe it's uh, discipline wise. Maybe it's socially. Uh, and maybe they just got caught where they went to a bigger school, Division One, and they didn't play as much, didn't have the role, so they want to have a chance. But there's a different level of hunger. There's no politics. Um, there's a different level of connection because you're around those guys so much. You don't have all these rules of when you can practice and when you can't. Uh, assistant coach is doing study hall. He's the counselor. He's the academic advisor. He's the uh, study hall coordinator. He's the player development coach. You know, so – uh, I have such an appreciation for the lower levels because that's as a coach, that's where you really get to hone your skills and really mm-hmm. get to understand your true passion for the game because you don't have the glamour and glitter. Nobody sees what you're doing or knows, and uh, there's no notoriety. It's a, it's a very thankless job at that level, but it's so important because you're impacting guys that may they're, they're on the brink of figuring out if they're going to make it or not make it and uh, getting those guys through academically to help them get to the next level and giving them that hope is uh, is an awesome part about the junior college level. So I'm biased towards that level probably um, because all the politics are out, you know, and uh, there's a different level of hunger and competition to go get it, you know. And everybody at Division One, regardless if they say they want to be a pro, everybody doesn't work like that. Everybody doesn't really have the drive the same way as they do to, to get to Division One. So I think that part is different about that level. Um, Division One, you love the glamour and glit. You love the – some of the travel and some of the bells and whistles and, you know, you're on ESPN three or ESPN or CBS or um, the crowd venues can be great. But, you know, again, lower levels, D2 as well. I mean, D2 is kind of this in between. So the great players in junior college that maybe academically couldn't quite qualify or some of those great players at division one that again, maybe they, maybe they did get in trouble or maybe they didn't play a big role as a junior so they're like, man, I want to go play and put up numbers again. And so you get a lot of talented players, a lot of grown men at that level. I think there's a misconception because of the number and the delineation, like, oh, these guys can't play. But at the end of the day, it's really a lot of Division two schools and even junior colleges can compete with just about anybody because they have the same level of player. There's just an academic requirement that's different or there's a, a story that led them to that space uh, and it's almost like if you look at the G League now, I mean, I don't know how many guys have really watched G League game or look at a G League roster, but there's a lot of, you know, McDonald's All-Americans and college All-Americans and guys that were first-team all-conference and power five conferences that are playing in the G League. So it's like the G League, the perception is like those guys can't play or they're not that good. But 
when you really do your homework, it's like, yo, there's some real players in this league. And I think that's the part where no matter what level you coach at, if you're doing it for the right reasons, you're going to do it for the players. But I think if I had to say the lower levels has a much more pure level, not as many resources, not, you can't, you're not traveling, you're taking long bus rides. You may have that box lunch that you, that you're eating. Uh, but those guys have a different hunger, you know, whereas it, sometimes division one, you have to, you have a lot of the uh, training table, you have, uh, the cost of attendance check, you know, you just have more uh, resources is probably the biggest difference in the two. But the level of play, I mean, you, you look at some of the guys like Larry Johnson who played in the NBA. Jimmy Butler was a Juco dude who played. Dennis Rodman played Division II. Uh, Scottie Pippen played Division II. So, you know, there's so many guys, like the list goes on and on about lower-level guys. It's almost like when you look at mid-major and high-major, the perception is that high-major guys – are the best. But if you look at the best players in the NBA right now, or some of them, um, they either didn't go to college, but you have Kawhi, who is mid-major, Steph Curry, mid-major, Damian Lillard, mid-major, Paul George, mid-major. Uh, you can kind of go down the list. And I think that's the part where uh, basketball is basketball. And I think if you can just find guys that are um, hungry for it and love it and passionate about it and got some toughness to it, then the rest of it is like, you know, it don't matter what level you're at. Now, do and then Coach Burton asked you this, man. So, the role of an assistant coach. So, talk about the role that you play at each level because I know, I know it's a definitely a, a, a suggestion for sure. But yeah, but talk about that role and trying and how, who, who you work for and how you give some suggestions and how, how do you present that to the head guy and see if he actually goes with it or not? Because I know that that's a big thing in the business trying to give a good suggestion, hopefully the, the head guy takes it. Sometimes he won't, but hopefully he will. And then he may, he may come back to you and say, okay, it was a good idea. So how does that work in, in, a, in a, as an assistant coach with a D1, D2, and you know, a, 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 a assistant coach there? Man, uh, another big-time question. And I may I may be the wrong person to ask, but I might be the right person to ask because uh, <laughs> I've had some trial and error, and I think that's how you figure it out. You know, you have to ask your mentors for sure. You have to be willing to learn, but sometimes uh, that's just a tr one of the trickier parts about this thing is like people don't understand how hard some of those dynamics can be and not just with your head coach, but with the staff. So uh, I definitely have uh, some great stories and insight of like successes and failures on that. But I think the biggest thing is with respect, you know, you want to have respect. You want to give respect. Um, you want to make sure that you're, not just trying to push your own agenda and it's not about you You're just trying to help the team win and how you phrase things timing of when you talk about things uh are all important and then as an assistant you want to be great at having the data and having the research and having a body of work and, and um you know present it to your coach in a way that it's an option and here's the homework i've dug up on it i've researched it here's the numbers Here's the stats. Here's the predictability. Here's where it may go wrong. Coach, this is just a suggestion, but I think it may work for our team. Here's why. I think when you can paint the picture and a coach can see that you're really invested in it, it gives you more of a case to talk about it. You know, and I think sometimes we, as coaches, we can get emotional. We can get our egos involved. Because sometimes with coaches, it's about, it may be in a recruiting. Sometimes it may be about coaching. Sometimes it may be about recruiting. Sometimes it may be about a decision with a guy to, to bench him or start him or, or to send him home. Uh, you're like, nah, coach, we got to fight it out with him. It's like, no, well, he's – so there's emotions. You have to understand head coaches have a really hard job, and I've been blessed. 
I think in my 16 years in the business, I think I've had 10 different head coaches. And some of that's because coaches move on and get promoted or you move on and you get promoted or you have a coach for, I had a couple coaches I worked for for a couple months and then they got another job and then now another coach comes in. So um, the beauty of it is just being adaptable, I think, and just really caring about um, what I've learned as I've gotten older is just having a servant mindset, like be secure in who you are and not worry about if your suggestion is taken or not. You know, the suggestion seat is easy. The decision-making seat is hard. You know, my wife's been a head volleyball coach at Division Two, two different Division Two's, been very successful. My brother's a head coach. A lot of my friends are head coaches. So you have those conversations too with people that are in that seat. And then even with doing things like All Access Coaches Corner and doing things like when I was an AU coach, you know what it's like when you're running an organization or you're running something. It's lonely at the top sometimes. And you have a lot of decisions you have to make. And I think that what Anitra is great at um, and what people that I've worked with and worked for, I think when I've been at my best, you know, you just have a servant mindset. They know you're invested. They know you're connected. They know you care about the wins and losses and that you're not taking it personal. Uh, but again, it's a competitive game. So sometimes uh, at the lower level, you're closer with your staff because there's fewer of you. So there's only two guys sometimes and a manager, Juco, you know, um, division two, you got two coaches full time and one GA sometimes. So the staff is closer knit. So it's everybody has different roles and everybody's got to be rowing in the same direction. As you move up, um, I think, probably UTEP was the biggest staff we had been on and we had so many guys that had a specific role and everybody's got to be rowing in the same direction but there's also a lot of egos there's also a lot of uh, just voices so you have to be very careful about how you navigate um, those waters and how you um, are a great teammate I think that's a part as coaches people don't talk about a lot you have to be a great teammate as a coach as well as you do as a player you know, so even if you don't agree, you have to support, hey, this is coach. He's put his time in. I'm going to support him. You have to do those things off the court, like uh, going to lunches and, okay, hold on one second, uh, going to lunches and, and doing all that stuff to make sure you're building camaraderie with staff. And then, you know, ultimately, uh, you're not always going to do it right. You're not always going to do it perfect, but you want to make sure even when you don't, you have those conversations with your coach or your staff member to say, hey, we're all in this together. Maybe I did this wrong. Let's talk about how we can be. You know, I think solution-oriented mindset is really important, too. So, Yeah, I got a couple more for you. I know your daughter wants your attention. Nah, she, she, <laughs> I, I, might, I might have to take a 20-second time out, but, but we're, we're going to extend it. We're going to extend it. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple more for you. So I know, you're talking, I know I've been seeing what you guys are doing about social justice. I mean, it's been a big thing right now, Brian. So yeah. how have coaches been talking about social justice reform? And, like, I know a Coaches for Change with Carmen Mastorello has been a good one. I know Digger Taylor's on another group as well, Rob Lanier. So talk about how you guys come together to try to get guys registered to vote, uh, get coaches on the board, some social justice reform, because right now we're with a, a reconstruction in our country. We can change the narrative right. now, get people on the same page, because it's been a problem for years. It's not been talked about, but now it's being brought to light now with all the things that's going on around us with the pandemic as well. So have you guys attack that and try to make sure you have an impact in that arena as well, as uh, also on the court as well? Yeah, so that's, that's a loaded uh, and powerful topic and powerful question. Um, I can't speak as much about, since I'm not currently with a team, how I'm impacting players uh, per se, but 
with the organization. Again, shout out to, you know, Adam Gordon and Rising Coaches for, you know, he's just allowed for us to have some difficult conversations. And uh, I give him credit first. He linked up with Ryan Price and uh, Cabril Huff and Cam Daly to do the first social justice uh, town hall probably one week, not even a full week after George Floyd's, um, you know, murder. So uh, that started it. I, I was on it. I watched and I was just like, man, we got to do more. You know, I didn't want the conversation to die. I thought it was powerful, but it was emotional because it was so raw and so fresh. Uh, but there was probably 150 people on that Zoom. And so I just felt really compelled with All Access Coaches Corner to to start having roundtables. I got inspired by um, Stephen Furtick as a pastor I really like out of Charlotte. Uh, he does a really good job. And he's had a couple of these cool conversations. He had one with uh, Charlotte Maine, the God, who's obviously a really um, high, high uh, radio personality with, with uh, what he does. But he had that conversation on stage at church. And I thought that was the first time, a black and white conversation. And so this particular, the first Sunday after George Floyd's murder, he had a conversation with uh, Pastor uh, Gray. I think it's Andre Gray. Um, drawing a blank on his first name, but Pastor Gray that's, um, that's at uh, Joel Osteen's church. So he had a conversation on stage, the first, and, and it was a real racial conversation, like, hey, what are the issue? What do we need to be doing? And uh, I just thought it was powerful to be able to see that conversation in front of everybody, you know, and just have them have some raw emotions and tough questions. And so I kind of took the concept subconsciously, God put it on my heart to want to do something to make change and not having a team and not having um, a locker room of guys that you're going to be talking to and trying to lead through this. I just said, man, if we can empower other coaches, the ripple effect can be amazing. So we started with our first social justice roundtable. We had 14 panelists, um, half white, half were black. So seven and seven. And we had um, opening statements in the second half. We had paired conversations where a black coach and a white coach got to give each other a question in advance, but they had to ask that question on Zoom in front of everybody and have those conversations. And so <clears throat> we had 200, over 200 people on that Zoom, which was powerful. Uh, then we followed it with another one similar. So those were Division One and Division Two coaches. Uh, the next one was junior college and grassroots. And then the very last one um, that we hosted with All Access Coaches Corner Rising Coaches was uh, we had Coach Carm's group, Coaches for Change. We had, I think, 10 representatives from most groups. The Big East has a group, Coaches for Action. Uh, they had Dwayne Killings, who, who was on, who was tremendous, Ivan Thomas and uh, Ben Johnson. Stu Jackson came on as well from the Big East. Um, and then we had Coaches Coalition for Progress uh, out on the West Coast. Um, Coach Todd Golden, at the head coach of San Francisco, he started that organization. Uh, and then Carlin Hartman was, um, you know, kind of his right-hand man on it. And then Penny Collins at Tennessee State uh, also has started a group called Embrace Us that a lot of us are in. I'm blessed to be a member of as well. And uh, we had all those social justice groups on and had some breakout rooms. Corey Black did a great job of organizing that part of it and getting probably about 10 to 15, 20 people in a room and just having conversations. We had certain topics or certain questions that we would go into the room with, but it was powerful, the amount of uh, things that have happened between all of these social justice conversations have been really powerful. And, it, you know, it's like anything else, it's evolving. Nobody has the answers, right? We all have a lot of opinions. We all have a lot of feelings. 
But I think the cool part about it is as it's going on, more and more people have dug into it and have done things with their teams and have done more homework, have done more education, have, and we've had more conversations, you know, black and white, white and white, black and black, because there's no one person that's at fault. And we need everybody to really make the change. The more people we can have, the better. We need allies. We need advocates. We need, uh, we, we can be very blunt. We need powerful white leaders to help us in this case for equality, whether it's women, whether it's minorities. We need that because those guys have access to decision makers. And they are decision makers a lot of times. We're not always in decision making positions. And that's part of what we're fighting for is, having more opportunities, having more seats at the table, uh, having more equality in general, not only just in our profession, but obviously it goes extended to police brutality and education reform. And we can go on and on the list. And, and the NBA has done a great job of having the platform front and center. The WNBA has done a great job. I think NFL, baseball, football, everybody's kind of had a day or two where they've protested peacefully, but they're just – it's a topic that we care about. And I think the cool part about it is for the first time, in my humble opinion, uh, the majority or the, the, the decision makers are open to this conversation, right? And normally it just feels like black people over there crying again or black people are upset again or oh, here they go again, kind of one of those. And it's kind of like goes on deaf ears, right? But now it feels like we actually have more movement. So there's a lot of different groups. There's uh, WBCA has been doing some great things with women's basketball. I'm sure football probably has some organizations I don't know about. Um, Diedrich Taylor did a great job with his think tank. I'm sure he's probably involved with something. Uh, I know BCA, Black Coaches Association, has just started back up again, a new form of that. Uh, there's a Black Coaches United. There's an Asian Coaches Association. There's a Latino. There's a Jewish. And I think people are taking more ownership for their different um, groups and their different identifications as well during this time because in college basketball or college athletics, we want equality and more opportunity for everybody, especially the people that are minorities, right? Yes. Um, and obviously the Black Lives Matter movement is a big thing and, and, and something that we uh, absolutely have to have more change and more positive uh, reform around but at the same time you know uh within our industry we just want it, it's not even about having to be uh treated like we're better than we're not trying to take something away from anybody else but we just want an equal opportunity to be able to do it yes. because let's, let's face it for black men and black women majority of the athletes that are playing they look like us so if we want to be really blunt and direct they look like us, but we're not able to, to lead them. We're not able to be an administration. We're not able to be head, more head coaches. I think, I don't know the exact numbers. I think it may be only, it's a small number of power five black head coaches for the men's side. I think it may be 12. And I don't think there's any in the Pac-12, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So um, there's just some changes that, that just don't make sense because you look at the percentage of players, mm -hmm. the majority of them are. So, you know, again, it's not about us like somebody said this, well, you know, what if white coaches feel like you're trying to take away from, and it may be an idea of threat, but it's not about the threat. It's just about doing what's right and having an equal opportunity because yes. when there's an opening, and I don't want to use any specific school, but let's say USA University has an opening, well, it should be equal the amount of opportunity that we both have to get those, those positions. Yes. But when there's only so many 
um, minority administrators and presidents. Well, people hire what they're comfortable with. People yes. hire who they know. People hire who's in their circle. So part of it was rising coaches um, that Daryl Jacobs, who's um, who is on the East Coast, who's been a head coach actually at Clark Atlanta at one point in time, um, but older gentleman who's been around the game, been an AD, been a uh, head coach, has, has just seen a lot in this game. He's starting a diversity. Him and Adam Gordon and myself are starting a diversity uh, equity and inclusion within rising coaches to make to help make some change. Uh, it's two part. One part is trying to make change together with all these different groups within college basketball and within the world period, however we can. And then secondly, it's also to help create more equity and inclusion and uh, equality within athletics. So really excited about that new project. I don't want to speak too much on it because it hasn't rolled out yet, but um, I think there's a lot of change that can be done. I think, like you said, I don't, I don't know who all is a part of what groups at this point because there's so many of them popping up, but I think that's a great thing. As long as we all have the same mission and while the door is open, while this window is open, it's now is the time. So uh, I didn't mean to get too long-winded, obviously. No, you're good. passionate about the topic, but yeah, I just think uh, it's, it's, time for, it's time for more positive change, more real change. Uh, a friend of mine, Marlon Lowe out of Houston, he said this on one of the roundtables, or he actually said on the phone with me before the roundtable, he said, we don't want just um, symbolic change. We want tangible change. Yes. Right? We don't want something to just – We don't. it's cool that you named that street sign Black Lives Matter Avenue. Cool. But that's not changing our lives, right? Yes. That's a symbol. That's an acknowledgement, but it's not, it's not helping – us get where we want to go, right? We, we, we want enough respect that we really can make tangible change that makes, you know, that you can look at and quantify. So uh, I think that's a big part of this too. And it, it's a marathon. It's not going to happen overnight. There's a lot of things that need to be done. But I think when there's an open-mindedness and, and we're all in it together, because uh, in the end of the day, we all want to be treated fairly, right? And some of the things that have been going on for years dates back to, you know, just how this program, how this country was built let's just be honest uh built on slavery there's a lot of reprogramming we have to do and oh yes some people don't want that change but it's needed most definitely well brian anywhere i can help you you rs coach culture corner rising coaches let me know if you need guys yeah. to get interviews uh get use the platform here in atlanta to get to the listen we have here which from chattanooga to macon feel free i'm open to help you guys out anywhere i can use this platform for good and to promote the great things you guys do, we all want the same thing, diverse, inclusion, and equality, and for all. Not just for one set of people, but for everybody across the board. So Absolutely. it's equal Absolutely. across the board. So I'm all to help you guys and where I can. Let me know, brother. Yeah, we'll do, man. Appreciate you, man. You've been big time to just reach out and connect. Some guys are some guys that have the resumes and credentials that you have wouldn't be as humble and as serving-minded as you are. So really appreciate, man, your down-to-earth uh, approach and just who you are and what, what you're about, man. And, not a lot of people are quite like that, and it's definitely a time where we need more guys like you, man. Most definitely, that my brother. Where hey, I was, I was good. I'm, I'm like you guys, man. You know, I'm just a blessed dude having a great time covering sports. So well, let me use the blessing I have for good, pay it for it that way. So that's how right. I see it, man. So that's how I do what I do, man. For the love of the guy, I, 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 I'm all fair, I, I, man. Yeah, I gotta ask you, man. Who who are your favorite? If you had to pick a starting five for the Atlanta Hawks all time, who's your starting five? Okay, we'll go with Deke at the center. 
Steve okay. Smith. That's <laughs> Michigan State. That's hometown. <laughs> you got that right. You know, I'm also going to have to throw in my guy because I'm biased. Al Horford as well. Wow. Okay. At, 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 at the four. Got Mookie Blaylock as well. At the one. That was okay. my guy. And you can't forget the old school Atlanta Hawk, Pistol Pete Maravich, but when he wore the, the blue and the blue and green jerseys back in the day. Right, right, right. So that, right. That's my starting five all-time Hawks. You know, honorable mention, you know, a hometown guy, Josh Smith as well. Also a legend of the Hawks by my man Zaza Petulia, how he went up with Kevin Garnett back in the day when he got right. relevant again. <laughs> So, that's a, that's a name I didn't associate with the Hawks. I like that. Yeah, Zaza Pachulia. That's my guy, man. So, yeah, man. So, yeah, the Hawks, man. Look, I love them to death. I'm glad that – I'm glad we're using the Pac-Man again. That's my favorite Hawk is the Pac-Man. Yeah. I wish we would – I wish we wear the Hawks jerseys from the 90s. We was competing with the Bulls at the, at the Omni. Is that, is, that the one with, is that the one with Steve Smith was playing? And had yeah, the with the, the full Hawk on it. Yeah, that was a tough one. That was a yeah, tough one. that's the one I, I missed the most. But yeah, man, those are my top five Hawks, man. My honor, I you guys are Zaza yeah, and Josh. So, man. So, so, your people, so your people may get on you because there's two names that I know of famously that they would probably be surprised that aren't on there. So the controversial name one would be the current Hawk, Mr. Trey Young. They probably – you probably got to earn a little more. He, he has he to earn that. He's earned that. So he has to earn that. So I'll give you that pass. But, man, the one I'm sure people are probably Dominic surprised Wilkins. about. Dominic Wilkins. Dominic Wilkins. But yeah, you know, Nick is Nick is a great guy, man. I love the guy to death. See, see, these are guys I, I, I I'm cool with, like that. Yeah, I'm cool with Nick too. But yeah, man, you know, Nick is a a classic dude. He he's he's one of a kind though. He's one of a kind. He he's like supersedes anything Atlanta Hawks. So I kind of he he he's who he is. But for right, us, right. So he's the category of his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like we, we know we know he's Mr. Hawk. We know that. <laughs> but right. yeah, Trey has to earn that. He has to earn that. But he he probably will earn it eventually. But for me, Sam Mookie and those guys in my youth, man. So Smitty, Deke, all them guys right. are in my youth, you know. And of course, Al Horford's a buddy of mine. So I had to put him on there. You picked the heck of a squad. You, you you didn't have no bones on there. You had you had the right dudes. I just I just had to give you a hard time a little bit. Just see what see what you thought, man. But no, that's definitely uh hopefully they can get back going, man. I, I love the coach Boyd Pierce. I was on some zooms with him earlier. He did a great job with some zooms. Uh, I think I was telling you on the phone. Uh, he had a series where he was kind of doing on Wednesdays to help coaches grow. He had tremendous numbers on there. High school coaches, NBA coaches, college coaches, whoever just getting on there to grow. And he shared a lot of stuff that they do within their program and their organization. And I just thought it was a big time with him, how down to earth he was and accessible he was. I was extremely impressed with him. And uh, he's been a super class actor in moving forward with the uh, social justice movement in the NBA. So definitely hats off to him. Man. I look forward to getting to know him in person whenever I, whenever, whenever I get my tour of Atlanta from you, man. Yes, indeed. Also, favorite Hawk coaches, Mike Woodson, my favorite coach of all time is Woody. Lord number two and assistant coach, David Fisdale. He's assistant on Woody's staff, so can't forget Coach Fisdale. Those are my top three Atlanta Hawk coaches of all time ever. I love it. I love it. I love it. You would know. If anybody would know, you would know. So, uh, I, I love that. I love that. And, and as Dave Fisdale would say, take that for data. 
Yes, 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 indeed. Take that for data. You got to hit the table when we do it, too. Take that for right, data. That's, that's, that's his line right there. He's making platinum right now. Well, Brian, man, thank you for your time, brother. It was great to get the out of which on the Boss Man Show, man. Do this again real yeah, soon. You, and and uh, you. tell your wife and your family, I said, thanks for you, first of all. Thanks for giving us the time because it's great to talk to you 40 minutes a day on the show about what you got going on, man. Yeah, Janai, you want to come say hi real quick? Tomorrow? Okay. <laughs> See, the boss. That's, yes, the, hey, that's the real boss woman. Not yes. the boss man, the boss woman. Yes, not, indeed. Not tomorrow. I'm, playing my, I'm playing my toys right now. Yes, indeed. Well, bro, thank you for your time, man. Be safe, and I'll talk to you real soon, buddy. Okay, sounds good, man. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, that's Brian Burton here on the Boss Man Show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.